0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're ready to believe you. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian
1: Gill. And I'm Richard Barton. And this is Mad uh, About Movie. Da, da 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 da. You sound insane. Do you realize that?
0: <laughs> yeah. The whole world got crazy. <laughs>
1: Mad About Movies is your go-to movie podcast for all things concerning the world of cinema. We discuss movie news, movie rumors, and those ever important movie rumblings, and then we break it on down for our chosen movie of the week. Don't worry about spoilers, we will give you ample opportunity to turn us off before we get this spoiler territory, and make sure you stick around for the end of the show for our weekly recommends. Also, make sure you check out our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Brian, this week's movie, nay, film of the week is...
2: This week, we're going to be discussing 1984's Ghostbusters. It's something strange
0: in the neighborhood. Who you gonna call? 30th anniversary of Ghostbusters. Guys,
2: boom, boom. Yeah, if you're if you're worried about spoilers for this movie, I'm going to have to ask go. you to reevaluate your life.
0: <laughs> yes, just do that anyway. It's always good <laughs> to do that. But so, big re-release this weekend of Ghostbusters in theaters. Apparently a 4K restoration of the film. Yeah. And I I don't know if that's that's possible even. Uh, I'm not going <laughs> to believe that until I see it. But big deal! A lot of people are excited about seeing this, taking their kids to see it, and such. So, not a lot came out last week in the theaters. I don't even know what came out, uh, Sin City <laughs> or something. I yeah, don't. I just it, don't even recall. It did really well. Really well. <laughs> yeah, crushing it. Yeah. Did it? No, really. How much did it make? I don't. Oh, I it's the biggest seven million bomb. dollars. Yeah, yeah. One seven million. Wow.
1: Ever. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah.
1: On a seventy million budget, it yeah. uh, so it made a tenth of it back. So, wow. Guardians te-
2: jumped back up to number one, Kent.
0: That's uh, great. That's great yep. to hear. I saw that Guardians was the biggest movie of the summer domestically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, of the year, I think domestically for uh, in the U.S. So that's great. T-
1: Turtles has made one forty-eight wow. domestically. Wow, that's yeah. nuts. This uh, week's
0: box office was
2: Guardians one, Turtles two. If I Stay, the Chloe Grace Moretz movie at three. Wow. And uh, Sin City finished eighth. Wow! 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 So yeah. maybe we can all just Turtles. be done with Robert Rodriguez and move mm-hmm. on.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh turtles has made 241 million worldwide so that's pretty surprising sheesh
0: that is that's quite surprising and, and uh surprise word hasn't spread about that movie but you know what like we said in that episode uh, a couple weeks ago that if there's one thing about the turtles is they have a huge fan base so a lot of diehards and it's really certainly not surprising it's more surprising in- that guardians has made so much in my opinion than uh than turtles
1: Well, that and Turtles, one thing I'll give them, and I I whine about this with other uh, movies all the time, Brian, and and Kent, you do as well. Turtles released at the exact right week. Yeah, it did. No one one rarely gets it as right as they did. That was the perfect perfect week to come Mm -hmm. out. They've been able to just kind of sail in that number two, number one spot for like three weeks now, and good for them. I mean, that was really smart. That's a perfect August movie.
0: Yeah, and I don't think it will be knocked off. This week. It'll be in the top five at least for the next three or four weeks, I would say. Yeah, it, yep. That and Guardians. Nothing really of note coming out. Maybe Ghostbusters will have a big showing That'd be uh, awesome. this weekend. That would be cool to see. But Ghostbusters this weekend coming out. So we thought it was appropriate to do a little throwback episode for everybody so that they can go see the movie, come out of the theater, throw on our podcast, and have a good old rocking time like you do. So big time, big time anticipation for this episode. And we're so excited about it that we've brought in our very special guest, friend of the podcast, a uh, person that's been on the show before and had a had a huge impact on all of our lives. <laughs> very memorable episode. <laughs> very memorable <Yeah>. experience. <laughs> uh, I want to welcome again to the Mad About Movies podcast our friend, Mister Jason Davidson.
3: Oh. <laughs>
1: Good to have First you. ever two time guest, right? I
3: yeah. know, and, and I'm here for 101. I, I feel like I'm 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 right here at the beginning of the end. It's very exciting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> good yeah. way
0: to put it. Good way to put it. <laughs> well, it's good to have you. And we we had you last time on our Need for Speed episode, and mm-hmm. you know people are still talking about that movie. You know, it's just <laughs> the longevity of it. Is just incredible. To yeah, witness. I would well, say no one
2: even remembers that Aaron Paul was in Breaking Bad because yeah. of Need for Speed.
3: <laughs> well, I saw him at the Emmys the other night, and I can only assume it was for Need for Speed. <laughs> somehow, it was nominated for an Emmy. Yeah,
2: incredible! It was just so good, they needed to honor it uh, immediately. Couldn't wait for the Oscars
0: next year. Yeah,
3: well, they might have mistaken it for a made-for-TV film, and that's what it's <laughs> up there. I'm not
0: sure. Good point. So I understand you, Mr. Davidson, are a big Ghostbusters fan.
3: I am a I am a huge Ghostbusters fan. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people. You know, you guys will say this too. It's that idea of, you know, I say Star Wars is the movie I've seen the most times, but what it probably really is, uh, well, in my case, I think. Now you see me, Ghost. Well. Now you see me. I mean, that's kind of a daily ritual. Thing. Yeah, check back with me
2: in five or six years.
3: Yeah. No, but I, I, as much as I love Star Wars, as much as I proclaim it, the my, my favorite movie of all time, I have seen Ghostbusters more times than
0: probably any other movie I've ever seen. Wow. Well, I hate Ghostbusters, so this is going to be an awesome podcast. <laughs> Oh, I'm excited to talk on, about it.
2: Yeah, we baited you to come on this
0: episode. And we're just gonna <laughs> Outstanding. <bat on> <laughs> Should be a good debate. I'm excited well, for that it. In that case,
3: I hate MacGruber. <laughs>
1: That's not cool, Too far. It's just not true. It's just not true.
2: This is friendly joking around. You just you
1: know, really took it too far. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's like making fun of Brian's kid.
0: <laughs> episode 101. Thank you for for being here. It is a monumental occasion. Last week... We had our 100th episode jamboree, and so I hope all of our listeners have gotten a chance to listen to that, in which we all revealed our top 10 favorite movies of all time, our individual top 10 lists. Uh, jamboree, I love that word; it makes everything sound fun. And we got I've some great emails
1: and tweets from people. <clears throat> we do. Uh, we appreciate that for for the 100th episode. Thank uh, you know, congratulating us and all that. So every one of those is appreciated. And uh, we've got a few that we're going to read and talk about on on here, but uh, right. for those of you that we won't, uh, we, we just want to let you know in mass that we, uh, we appreciate the listening for 100 episodes. Very nice of you.
0: Yeah, we got numerous tweets and in emails and messages and things. so thank everybody. you know people just saying congrats on 100. Uh, hope you guys keep still making podcasts so that means a lot. So, if you did that, big shout out to you.
1: Someone FedExed me a box that said, Congratulations on 100 episodes, and I opened it, and it was just a human head. And I don't know <laughs> what is that a compliment, or I don't know, I yeah. don't know, you know, because this is worldwide, so there's different cultures and things like that. I don't know, but uh, thank you. <laughs> now, Richard
0: in that episode he he challenged our listeners to, sure. to send in. What's the weirdest thing you've ever done while listening to the Mad About Movies podcast? And we got uh, some crazy responses. And the craziest one, I believe, Richard, you have prepared and you would like to read on the air, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I can read it. I can read it if you'd like. It says, hello, Brian, Kent, and Richard. (laughs) Not Jason. I add (laughs) parenthetically. Uh, my name is Colin Langenderfer. I, I Hopefully, am, I'm not butchering that. Langenderfer. Uh, and the weirdest thing I do while listening to Mad About Movies podcast is actually pretty normal to me. But as a side business, I'm a reptile handler for productions here in the Chicagoland area. I supply companies with reptiles and other exotics for independent films, commercials, photo shoots, and themed events. But that being said, I feed and clean 14-foot pythons, Five foot monitor lizards and venomous tarantulas. While I'm laughing and listening to your podcast, you guys help me pass the time and make me look forward to the not so glamorous part of my job. I can't wait for the 200th episode. Keep it up, guys. If there's really only response to that. I, he must be in tremendous, tremendous shape because uh, we all know it's easy to stay in shape when you're carrying around 14 foot pythons. <laughs> like yes, McGruber
0: did teach us all that. You're absolutely <laughs> correct.
1: But No, that one wins. If any uh, of our
0: yeah, listeners yeah, do something yeah. more interesting than carrying around five-foot monitor lizards while listening to our, <laughs> yeah. our podcast, feel free to yeah. send that in. We'd uh, love although, to
3: read it. I, I might add, I don't know uh, how great of an idea it is to be laughing and listening to a podcast while ha- handling venomous tarantulas. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: We all know how spiders like to climb inside people's mouths,
1: so I would just keep that close. Yeah. Awesome. Just, or at least listen to the Nerdist while you do that. So you can, yeah.
2: <laughs> best of both worlds
1: (laughs)
0: gosh you know what speaking of the nerdist I I was watching the Doctor Who premiere of the Mm -hmm. new Doctor Who series with Mm -hmm. Peter Capaldi Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. pre-show comes on guess who's the host of course Chris Hardwick Like why? Why I told
1: you I got confused for him right when I was in Vegas by three very lovely women. (laughs) Thought I was him.
2: Had to talk you down from the roof when you (laughs) were going to kill yourself.
1: Yeah, because he's like forty-two. I'm at the time I was like twenty-six, and uh, very nice girls, but would not, not in a joking way. Like you look like Chris Hardwick. Like would not take no for an answer that I wasn't. I was like, how drunk do you have to be? But uh, thank you. (laughs) You don't look like him at all.
2: It's funny. Foot seven. Yeah.
1: Yeah. As
2: Richard is six foot eight and his shoe size is <laughs> eighteen and a half. Like
0: <laughs> no, my favorite still. thing Chris Hardwick has ever done is completely bomb on the Emmy Awards, and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> singled singled out. out, singled out. Yeah, I forgot about that.
1: Uh, that
0: gloriousness, but but I'll,
1: you know what? Podcast is a community, so we support them and everything. Mm-hmm. No, I like I like the Nerdist podcast.
0: I just don't enjoy Hardwick very <laughs> much. But so I want to read one more email, and this comes from one of our loyal listeners in wichita kansas gordon beetle he really enjoyed our top 10 list episode and he wants to uh, ask a few questions about it and his first question is why no documentaries he says i know you guys love them i wonder why you all left them off of your top tens was this intentional and maybe you guys can do a bonus episode with your top five or ten documentaries so was that intentional for for y'all guys did you consider any any documentaries
2: I for me personally, I you know I, I didn't. didn't really yeah because I don't rewatch documentaries over and over again. Besides, like it might get loud, which is a tremendous film. Um, I don't I don't know I don't I don't revisit them over and over. So just kind of by default, I didn't really consider them. But I think doing a like a you know a ten or five favorite documentary episode would be a really cool idea. That's a great great thought.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a huge documentary yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I put that into a separate category, though. Honestly, yeah. um, educational filmmaking is a little different than entertainment. In my even though it is entertaining, it's just a different thing in my opinion. And I, I think that's a great idea to do a, a top five or ten documentaries episode. Maybe next week we can make that happen. Not much is not much is coming out uh, this weekend. Maybe the November Man starring Pierce Brosnan. Oh, no, gosh. it's not. It's not happening. Wow. But. So that's a good that's a good suggestion, Gordon. He also asks, uh, "Why no Martin Scorsese?" I, he says, "I think he's probably the biggest American director besides Spielberg and the Coen brothers." And I can't True. believe any of his movies didn't make y'all's list. So I wonder why. And you what know, are your favorite Scorsese films?
1: I think a lot of that's generational. I mean, it, <clears throat> we all had some older films on there, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I mean I love I like a lot of his movies quite a bit, and they're probably. Every movie he's made is in my top 50, but uh, I can't really think of uh, of one that would be really high up. I don't know. I mean, I really love Raging Bull. That would be the highest one, and that would probably be like low 20s on my list. Yeah. But but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It just doesn't connect with me completely. Brian, what about you?
2: Yeah, I I really I love Scorsese and I would agree with that. I think he's totally I mean, is. he's directorial royalty and I love Scorsese. Um I I don't rewatch his movies quite, you know, a whole bunch and that was a big consideration in making my favorites list. Departed would have been in consideration for somewhere in my top whatever, you know, 25 or 50. That one's probably my favorite uh Scorsese movie and I know that's one that a lot of Scorsese purists don't love that much, but uh, I think it's a fantastic film. I just I don't know. I don't. I rarely sit down and say I want to watch Goodfellas or or mm-hmm. uh, whatever it may be.
3: I have three uh, and a half so, hours. Let's watch Casino.
2: Yeah, that's a big part of it too. There, I, Saving Private Ryan is a really long movie, and then obviously mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings movies are a tremendously long film when you add it all together. But I don't know. There's it's a different experience when I when I'm going to. I feel like I need to take in a Scorsese movie if that makes sense. And I don't, I don't really have a lot of time these days to sit down and take in a movie, I guess would be my defense on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. My, uh, this, this just reinforces the fact that it's a top 10 favorite movies list, not a top 10 best movies list. Uh, I'm sure, sure. If we did a top 10 best movies that Scorsese's name would come up multiple times, Mm -hmm. uh, in those lists. And, uh, And he also asks, why not The Godfather? He says, thank you, but don't get me wrong. I love this movie, but I feel like every time people try to talk about their favorite movies, somebody always brings up The Godfather. And uh, he was just wondering why none of us mentioned that. And I think that's the same thing. If it was the best movies list, uh, one and two would be up there for me. In my opinion, and, but, and three uh, would be
1: at the top. Right? Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> well, Sophia, I mean, yeah, she's wonderful. Woman man. crush Wednesday, right there. It's true that The Godfather is one of the greatest movies ever. It's just like Brian said. I take rewatchability into account. I'm, not, I don't watch The Godfather every day. It's a yep. four hour, almost four hour movie or something, so I can't uh, can't really take that in. But it's up there as far as the best movies of all time. There's no denying that. And so, I,
1: I, like going down on record that I have MacGruber in my top ten, but not. <laughs> or, or, or godfather yeah i want that on my headstone when i die it will be trust trust right. us it will be
0: it will be buried with all of your uh your mcgruber outfit so if you ever yeah. rise yeah. from the dead oh. and it's raining you can just apply the clothes Good.
1: we all know <laughs> exactly. who's gonna kill me yeah listeners so, listen at your to wedding show.
0: yeah she's gonna kill you sarah's gonna die uh at the wedding and you're gonna avenge your death So prepare for that.
1: Don't worry, her ghost will (laughs) pop up later. As long as I can still, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, as long as I can still make out with her ghost.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So before we jump into Ghostbusters talk, guys, let's uh, talk a little bit of movie news, rumors, and rumblings. Movie news. Yes. Rumors and rumblings. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. So this is a movie podcast. Let that be clear. But a big award show was this past weekend, which involved a lot of our favorite movie stars, favorite personalities. The Emmy Awards, 66th annual Emmy Awards, was this past Sunday, and a lot of people were talking about it, uh, made headlines in all entertainment uh, avenues over the over the past few days. And I think we should talk about this because we've done multiple episodes, rants and raves episodes, we like to call them, over the past year of numerous things uh, that won awards that were nominated in this. So we're just going to go quickly over the, over the winners losers here. Uh, let's give our initial thoughts on the ceremony itself. I guess the, the host this year was Seth Meyers, whom we are all big fans of on, mm-hmm. on Saturday night live, but, uh, has really not really made a name for himself in the late night venture that he is, is currently in, in my opinion. Um, Hasn't really brought a lot to the table. The, my favorite part of that show is when Armisen is on and they do a little bit after the monologue and then that's pretty much it. And if there's nobody on there that I really want to see interviewed, uh, I don't usually watch the show much. Um, but I'm hoping that it can turn into something mm-hmm. eventually. But uh, I will say the jokes in the monologue were funny. Uh, good writing uh, all around on the show, but uh, it's Seth Meyers is Seth Meyers. You know what you're going to get. But my favorite part was when Jimmy Kimmel came up there and just... Roasted um, Matthew McConaughey, so and everyone was like, uh, Well, why isn't he hosting? You know, yeah. <laughs> he just totally <laughs> showed up Seth Meyers uh, for about two and a half minutes. So, the biggest shocker, in my opinion, was Sherlock, a big showing at yeah. the end, he's won just about every award it was nominated for. And we'll go over the specifics of those later. But it was uh, surprising and really encouraging that Sherlock was recognized over a lot of the mainstream shows. Uh, that are currently uh, occupying the American uh, pop culture landscape. So, big ups for Sherlock! Please check out our Sherlock episode that we released this past year. We went over the new season and all the old seasons, uh, recapped the old seasons as well. So, if you're a fan of that show and our podcast, you will enjoy that too. So, guys, any initial thoughts on the on the Emmy Awards this year, Richard? What'd you think of them?
1: <sighs> well, I don't. I just breathed in and wheezed like a 95 year old. Um, <laughs> That's new. Well, I'm breaking down before. Well, now I'll definitely die. You know what? It was a very – the more I think about it, uh, it was totally fine. I think Myers did a decent job. His joke delivery still is awkward. He like grins through the jokes. Um, But he moved the show along really well. It was really well-paced. It was pretty well-produced. I hated – the one thing I hated was my favorite – Thing every year is when they do the best writing in in a variety show, and then all the different uh, writing staffs from the different late night shows do a little bit. They didn't have that this year, which was annoying. That's ridiculous. You know, overall, the show ran well. Um, You're right. uh, You know, Myers was shown up by some other comedians, but. You know, to his credit, he kind of allowed other people to kind of step up and have their three or four minutes. Gervais was funny. Kimmel was obviously the highlight. Everyone hated that Colbert bit. I thought it was kind of funny just because he committed so hard. And a few other people were, were fine. But, uh, yeah, I I, I I thought it was perfectly good. It was over before 10 o'clock, our time, here in the, in the beautiful central time zone. And, uh, yeah, I didn't have – I really had no issues with it. I didn't think it was great. It obviously could have been much better. But it was like – It it was a forgettable, you know. Myers even said, no one remembers that Emmys because it took place on a Monday, and no one will remember these Emmys. And the thing about the Emmys is like the same people win every year, pretty much. Yeah. And so you're just kind of used, they're just the same show. They kind of have a Groundhog Day feeling to it. Modern Family's going to win three awards. Breaking Bad's going to win three awards, um, you know, so on and so forth from there. So it's, it's not even any real surprises from there. Brian.
2: Yeah, you know that you guys both mentioned the the term forgettable, and I think that's my biggest complaint. That this show, more than any of the other, more than any of the big award shows, needs a revamp, needs a facelift badly. Um, both in as far as the the governing board and the voting process, and just in the the show presentation. Like, there's just. It felt like every time, uh, you know, Fallon was doing bits, Julie Louis Dreyfus was doing bits, everybody, it felt like the actors were trying to spice it up a little bit and make it an enjoyable experience. And then the producers were just stifling it. And uh, I don't know. It, it was a very, I, I watched it kind of rushed because I was behind in the viewing. So I was fast forwarding and stuff. And that, that doesn't all, you know, that doesn't lend itself to a great viewing. But even still, like, I just feel like there's a lot that could be done to make that an enjoyable, more engaging show than it is. And it probably starts with Myers because I love Myers, uh, but I don't – I don't know. There's just something off with him right now, and I don't know if it's just he's uncomfortable with the show that he's on at this point or if it's just you know a maturity step that he just hasn't quite gotten to or whatever, but he was – it just didn't work for me. The jokes were really well written, but his delivery was not great, and I don't think that helped set the stage for uh, an enjoyable show in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it just – it really shows how badly NBC wants Myers to work and how much <laughs> they want that to be like the next yeah. big thing. yeah. And Katherine Heigl, <laughs> uh, who they're just shoving down our, our throats yeah, like crazy. You can go ahead and She's, give up on that one. Yeah, That's
3: not happening, NBC.
0: Jason, yeah. <laughs> did you uh, did you watch the Emmys?
3: Uh, you know, I've seen some of it. I've seen some of it. It was a busy day and I kind of forgot it was on. So I've been cruising the internet, watching the, the bits and watching various clips of some of the awards. So I, yeah. I, I've got sort of an overview of it, but I, I didn't get the chance to sit down and, and catch all three hours or two and a half hours or whatever the broadcast
0: time was. It was very long. It was, Mm-hmm. it was at least three hours and i i think they should cut out the directing and writing awards um even though personally i'm interested in those awards i just think the general public really doesn't care who wrote true detective mm-hmm. you know um that could make the pacing go a little bit faster maybe
1: well the legal uh, the legal system may care who actually wrote true detective but well i'm sure they do
0: <laughs> I'm, like this. I'm sure they do so let's go over these winners real quick or the, let's start with the more significant <laughs> awards here. Outstanding drama series nominees were True Detective, Mad Men, House of Cards, Game of Thrones, Downton Abbey. Uh, surprising nomination there, and uh, and Breaking Bad, which won. And that was probably the most stacked uh, drama series that I've ever seen yes. at the Emmys. Mm-hmm. And I really think any of those could have won, and uh, and I, it was surprising to me that Breaking Bad won. I thought Game of Thrones would win, maybe. Maybe even House of Cards, Dark Horse, True Detective could have could have seen that winning too. So Breaking Bad goes out on top and wins.
3: Right. Well, and I think that was a that was a huge part of it is that it is the last season of Breaking Bad. It's the last chance to give it an award. It's the last chance to honor it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if there's one thing they
0: haven't done is is recognize Breaking Bad. (laughs) Yeah. No. Yeah. (laughs) So if you're gonna you got to do it now because you'll never get another chance to. But no, I know I understand what you're meaning. It's the last. It's the last ride. And it was probably the best season, the last season. So mm-hmm. it's uh it's it's a worthy a worthy award. Anyone have any quarrels with Breaking Bad taking home outstanding drama, Brian? No. No that you it, predicted it totally that is, I think.
2: Yeah, I and it, it definitely deserved to win. I mean, I I feel like if you may, wanted to make a case for True Detective or Game of Thrones, then uh, or Mad Men, which was outstanding last season. Uh, you could, I could absolutely hear you out on that case. If House of Cards or Downton Abbey would have won, I would have been a little ticked about that. But yeah. I don't think you can make a case against Breaking Bad or any of those other really deserving shows.
0: Outstanding comedy series went to Modern Family, beating out Veep, Silicon Valley. <laughs> Orange is the new black, Louie and The Big Bang Theory. Yeah. So, like I said, I think I said to y'all during the show, like, aren't we past Modern Family? Like, what wasn't that just a big, huge deal in two thousand nine and ten? And uh, just comedically, isn't this isn't society just kind of past that show? I mean, doesn't it's that a seem hit. like the, the Office winning in like season seven or something? Yeah, I mean, you know? a little
2: bit. It, it's a hit, and it's it's still. A, I, I yeah. think it's a very funny show. Um, but it's, it's not better. It's not funnier than Veep. Like it's an embarrassment no. to, to call that a yeah. funnier show than Veep or to call it a funnier show than Parks and Rec, which wasn't nominated again for the eighth time, you know, uh, mm-hmm. this, I don't know. This category is bad.
0: It is. Yeah. It's very, Orange bad. is
2: the New Black is not a comedy. Um, right. I don't know. But
0: yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting too, that, you know, you've got HBO, HBO, Netflix, fx and then you only have two for the major networks and big bang theory and modern family even though the the network landscape is just dotted with a thousand different uh sitcoms but at the same time the only two that ever even get possibly suggested for this are modern family and big bang
0: richard any thoughts on this i know you're the comedy guru of us so
1: bob that's uh absurd um yeah, I I thought Modern Family was really strong last year. I think it had kind of waned in, in the previous years, but I think it had a nice little bounce back year. I, I really didn't have a problem with it winning at all. And I think the fact that it has to do 22 episodes of funny is <laughs> impressive. And, you know, Veeps really good and Silicon Valley was really good. And I think Veep will probably I don't know, at some point you would think it'll it'll pass over, but Veep just doesn't have like the kind of cultural takeover that breaking bad does so it's hard for it to win as a cable show i still don't feel like a ton of people have seen it yet right even though everyone likes it and then uh silicon valley you know was impressive that it was
0: even nominated in its first
1: season yes right and that's we all knew it would be really good yeah because judge everything judge does is really good but i think everyone was surprised at what a hit it was and so uh that may it may have some momentum in years to come but, uh, you know, I, I would say Modern Family winning in years past was far more offensive than it winning last year because it, it really was pretty good last year. I agree. Good.
0: Good to know. I, I think there's upcoming shows. I think Veep, Silicon Valley, and uh, I think Portlandia is an upcoming show, too, wasn't <clears throat> nominated. So I think that's where comedy's headed. Uh, I think the one camera Modern Family style shows are fading out. So <clears throat> maybe the last year of those types of shows getting recognized. So, outstanding lead actor in a drama was. Brian Cranston beating out uh, Spacey, Harrelson, McConaughey, uh, Jeff Daniels, and John Hamm again. So, uh, again, you know, got to recognize the, uh, the genius behind Breaking Bad uh, in its last season. Oh, yeah. I think that one could have gone to anyone as well. I think McConaughey, yeah. people were hoping for, pulling for, probably more than any of those. But, again, huge, very strong uh, category yeah. this year. Mm-hmm.
2: Really tough, because... I think Richard and I have been fans of Mad Men for, for quite a long time, and I think we've both kind of given up on the idea of John Hamm winning a, an Emmy, which is a complete sham. Uh, so I, you knew he wasn't going to win this year. If I had a vote, I would have voted him McConaughey. And I, I can't be too mad, obviously, because uh, Cranston is amazing. Walter White's a great character. I do think, though, that this season exclusively – McConaughey was better in True Detective than Cranston was in, in Breaking Bad for for me. So I was a little I was not disappointed or bummed by that because I love Cranston. I think that's great. He's he's incredible. I would have liked to see McConaughey's name there.
0: I agree. I think Kevin Spacey is is brilliant in House of Cards too. I think it's some mm-hmm. of his best work. So it's just it's just unfortunate that he was going against freaking Bryan Cranston in the last season of Breaking Bad. Yeah. Uh, when when House of Cards season two came out because his his showing in that was, was quite impressive, too. We need to
1: build a time machine and go back to uh, when uh, Spacey had just won for American Beauty and Cranston was on Malcolm in the Middle. yeah. And then just tell people, like, <laughs> hey, that guy's going to be the big-time frontrunner over Spacey on a TV show and then watch people's brains explode.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's crazy to think where he, he came from. Uh, the progression he's made from uh, Dr. Tim Watley to Walter White, it's pretty Pretty incredible. So here we go with uh, with lead actress was Juliana Margulies in The Good Wife. She beat Lizzie Kaplan, Claire Danes, Carrie Washington, Robin Wright, and uh, Michelle Dockery from Downton Abbey. Uh, I've heard good things about The Good Wife. I haven't seen it, though, but I heard she's great in that. So I don't have much to say about that. I'm just glad it wasn't Robin Wright because she's truly uh, despicable in House of Cards, which I think that's the goal, though. Uh, so... Good to see Claire Danes not win again. Uh, I don't like her as well. But Lizzie Kaplan, she's fine. I'll, uh, she can win a lot any day. You know what I'm saying? Outstanding writing for drama was Breaking Bad. No surprise there. Uh, supporting actress for drama was Breaking Bad and a gun as Skylar White. No surprise there. Um, outstanding directing for drama was True Detective, which is no surprise there. I think uh, – yeah. Episode four was one of the best episodes of television ever, if not the best that I've seen.
2: A, a little surprised that that guy looks like that, though. Carrie Joji yeah. Fukunaga. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, wasn't prepared yeah. for that. <laughs> All
1: right, yeah, I'll do. I'll do. The show, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, let get my friend a job. He's a pretty good director. He does a trip <laughs> Exactly.
0: Yeah, he looks. He looked awesome. Uh, supporting actor was Aaron Paul for Breaking Bad. Another competitive. Oh. Guys, is
2: that is that the last time we're ever gonna see Aaron Paul? I'm I'm concerned yep. for him, legit. Like, <laughs> he really loves Breaking Bad and loves that character more than anyone else. I'm I'm concerned
0: for him. I am too. I I really don't think he'll he'll do. He's in Exodus, the uh, the Moses film, yeah, uh, coming out this fall. So we'll have to see about him and that, and whether that can really jumpstart his movie career but uh we've seen like we said we've seen need for speed and uh not not good not good I, but i
2: don't think it has anything to do it with has nothing talent. to do with him yeah, yeah. he's a talented mm-hmm. guy but like he is obsessed with that i don't know i think i just don't know that he's gonna be able to find a place outside of that show and that he doesn't seem like he's necessarily prepared to handle
0: that so well so i don't know right There's always PlayStation commercials or Xbox. And he beat out Peter Dinklage, which is no easy task because Peter Dinklage is a genius on Game of Thrones. So uh, impressive, Mr. Paul. Quite impressive. Uh, Writing for a variety went to Sarah Silverman. Cool to see her win an Emmy. Yeah, that was cool. I I like Sarah Silverman. It was for her stand-up special We Are Miracles, which I believe is on HBO if you want to check that out on HBO Mm -hmm. Go. Yeah, uh, outstanding miniseries went to Fargo. Yeah. It was uh it was quite the show. Richard still hasn't hasn't seen Fargo. Jason, did you did you watch the show? I still have like two left sitting on the D V
3: R, so I've watched most of it. Big fan? Oh yeah, it's incredible, man. Yeah. But I'm a I'm a huge Martin Freeman fan and a huge fan of the original movie, which I know you are too. So right. I mean I was all in on Fargo, you know, from concept.
0: Yeah. Lead actor in a, in a miniseries went to Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock. And uh, also nominated was Billy Bob Thornton from Fargo, Martin Freeman from Fargo, and uh, Idris Elba from Luther. And, so, and Chiwetel for Dancing on the Edge. And also our, our Now You See Me friend, Mark Ruffalo, for The Normal <laughs> Heart. So impressive to see Benedict Cumberbatch win. Totally deserving. He's mm-hmm. awesome in Sherlock, as Sherlock. I saw
1: I watched so. The Normal Heart. It was weird at the end when the people died of, of HIV-AIDS and they just got on a carousel. <laughs> that, that was, <laughs> they
0: <laughs> jumped on it. It was a moving carousel. That's what it was. It was a weird part. ending. Weird yeah. ending. Yeah. They, they, they were magic. Don't worry about yeah. it. <laughs> Outstanding supporting actor in a miniseries was, uh, was Martin Freeman uh, for Sherlock. So they, bo- they won both of the acting awards for their categories. Uh, really cool. Colin Hanks also nominated for Fargo. And uh, a lot of normal heart uh, people nominated in that category as yeah. well. The rest of the cast. <laughs> it's interesting to see Martin Freeman win for Sherlock and not Fargo because I feel like uh, he got a lot more recognition last year for Fargo and his performance mm-hmm. in that. But he was going against Benedict in that yeah. uh, in that stuff. So that's all the really uh, really big awards here. We have outstanding writing for miniseries, which went to Sherlock, His Last Vow, which was our favorite. I believe mm-hmm. our favorite episode in that mm-hmm. series. So Julia Louis-Dreyfus won for Veep, Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy, uh, yeah. American Treasure, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, treasure, yeah. I should yeah. say,
2: best best bit of the whole night too. Her yes. and Cranston, oh, yeah. Yeah. That was awesome
0: making out like for 5 minutes, no yeah. joke. Uh, Just
2: the setup to that, yeah. with, you know, the the guy who was on Seinfeld. That was that was a great, that was a well-designed bit. And in
0: the sure. setup was great because they knew she was going to win. Like yeah. the set up would only yeah. work if she yeah. won the award and walked up there to do her acceptance right. speech. So it's like, well, Hey, when you win this award, let's do that. You know, yeah. <laughs> so like it, there was no doubt that she would win. She was facing, um, Melissa McCarthy from, uh, from Mike and Molly, Lena Dunham, Amy Poehler and Taylor Schilling. So the, the, the freaking Meryl Streep of TV, yeah, uh, and great. the first woman ever to win for three separate shows, uh, so that's quite impressive, as well. Uh, Jim Parsons won for The Big Bang Theory, for for lead actor, beating Louis and uh, Gervais, Matt LeBlanc, who's st- apparently still on television, <laughs> and uh, William H Macy from Shameless. So that
2: that category drove me nuts because yeah. I I don't care necessarily that Parsons won the Emmy. That doesn't bother me so much what bothers me is that there are a lot of funny people funny guys on tv and it's like we got louis we got parsons and then mm-hmm. a bunch of people who aren't in comedies shameless is not a comedy house of cards right. is a or house of uh, lies, lies is a brutal terrible show like you can't find a spot for nick offerman in this list somewhere or yeah. mm-hmm. Sandberg, or something like ah. I don't understand what was even happening in that category. It,
1: it mm. was good, though, that Parsons gave his speech in character. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he, it was great speech because he was honestly like, "I'm sorry, guys, yes. I really am." They <laughs> yeah. Just keep well, giving me these awards. He, yeah, uh, there's funny. no accounting
1: for taste. Yes,
2: yeah. he did that exact same thing the last year that uh, that Carell was up for an Emmy that he absolutely should have won and Parsons won and he stood up there for the whole time and was like I'm so sorry like he was just genuinely good, good. I don't deserve to be here sort
1: of Do you remember uh when Spader won for the during the last year of Sopranos? Have you ever seen that speech? Yeah, no. It's on YouTube. I, so. I implore everyone to go watch it. They have this big it's one of those weird first off it's a weird Emmys because it's on Fox. So they have oh. like Seacrest hosting it and it's it, it's it, it's in the round. They do it in the round. So oh. people are sitting all around the stage. So it's just uncomfortable on every level. And it's the last year of Sopranos. Everyone's going to win. Everyone knows, you know, Gandalfini's going to win. And uh, they get up there and they go, and the winner is James Spader for Boston Legal. And it's just like, what? And he gets up there and he's like, he like takes a moment, does the creepy Spader thing. He's like, I, uh, I feel as though I just stole an award from the mob. And he kind of like, yeah stares everyone down and then so that's funny. And then the best thing he did was he goes, I've been to literally thousands of concerts and shows in my life. And these are the worst seats I've ever had. And they just, <laughs> he just walked off. <laughs> like James Spader, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Future
0: AT, James Spader. <laughs> for sure. And uh so that's really it. We Ty Burrell won for supporting actor in a comedy. And uh, no surprise there. I like Ty Burrell. That's yeah, yeah. That's the
2: best part of that show by far. Yeah, is Phil and uh, and Ed uh, O'Neill's character. Ed O'Neill and Luke. Yeah, and And, who can't act at all, but he's hilarious (laughs) in what he's doing. Yeah,
0: and Louis C.K. is
1: also a great part of that show.
0: Louis (laughs) C.K. won for outstanding writing. He Won another Emmy. I think he's won like eight or something for that show. There's one year. Remember the year where he won like every category he was in. And there was a picture of him just sitting in his chair, just surrounded by Emmys. He had like six Emmys or something in his chair with him. And trying
2: hard to find a
0: reason to be pissed off about it. Yeah, (laughs) he's just like grinning ear to ear. funny, (laughs) Really funny. So so not a very memorable ceremony, but like we said, glad to see Sherlock get recognized. Uh, Fargo had led the most nominations along with Game of Thrones, which I think got shut out. Uh, I think yeah. for except well, the technical categories, but
1: will uh, that inherit? Do you think Game of Thrones will now that with Breaking Bad out of the picture, we've got the last year of Mad Men next year? But do you think Game of Thrones will kind of move into that spot of winning everything?
0: I think yes. so. I think Fargo and okay. True Detective are going to be up there too next year.
1: Yeah. Well, they're going to be. They're always yeah, but Fargo always goes in as a mini series.
0: Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right.
2: Yeah, I, so. I think Game. I, I want to hope that next year is Mad Men's year. Um, but I do think the next, as far as like a dynasty goes, the, the closest thing we, we've got to that is is Game of Thrones. I think you're gonna have a yeah. year in the next couple of years where Game of Thrones, you know, essentially sleep sweeps the awards with all yeah. the stuff that it's nominated
3: yeah. in. It's yeah. gonna be a lot like uh, Return of the King, how they sort yes. of wait yeah. till the third one to yeah. give it every award,
0: right? Yes. Hopefully, Same fan
3: base too. Yeah.
2: yeah,
0: noticeably absent this year, and we can preach this all we want on the podcast. Doesn't mean it's gonna mean anything in the end. The Americans clearly shut uh, out. Yes. Mm-hmm. This year, uh, Margot Martindale got a nomination for supporting actress,
1: I believe. Yeah, that's such a joke, man. Yeah, she's in it. Yeah. Like Matthew Rhys should yeah. be contending, yeah. not just nominated. He's incredible. Totally.
3: Did uh did Sons get a single nomination?
1: No. No. I don't think so. No, <laughs> no and it FX won't. gets screwed. It never will.
0: Yeah, they have too many good shows. It's as if the the writers, I mean the voters, pick like. Pick about you know, you know one show per network or two shows mm, per
1: network. You know that's and, true. That there might be something to that because mm-hmm. AMC they just have to campaign for one or two shows, and so mm-hmm. you know a lot of this is political. But FX has like seven. Mm-hmm. Right, you're
3: right. Yeah, there there really might be some mileage yeah. to that. We'll Son's to problem is that Sutter
2: can't keep his mouth shut, and so the the Emmys hate Kurt Sutter, and Kurt Sutter h- hates the Emmys, and that will never change. So that's and, the Sons of Anarchy issue.
0: Yeah. So I'm hoping that the Americans comes on strong next year yeah, and finally starts to get. Rec- sure. Matthew Reese, especially, is absolutely he's fantastic. So, uh, guys, let's move on. And you want to nominate some American treasures? Sure thing. Okay. So the way this works is uh, we have a little Hall of Fame on our website called American Treasures, in which each of us brings somebody to the table. And uh, and three of us vote. And it has to be a unanimous decision. Two of the three of us have to say yes for the person to be inducted into the American Treasure Hall of Fame. The qualifications are, you have to be working in the industry for 25 years. You have to uh, have a sense of humor about yourself. And you have to have some sense of comedy in what you do. You have to have a comedic tone uh, if you will to, to your resume. So Let's go ahead and bring nominations to the table this week. Uh, We have three categories. We have actors. We have North American Treasures, who are our Canadian uh, brethren. And we also have a public figures wing, in which uh, people that might not necessarily be actors per se, but that have had a huge impact on American uh, pop culture. So here we go. The August edition of the American Treasure uh, nominations. Brian Gill, kick us off.
2: I'm gonna go with a. I, I've got a quite an extensive list in my phone, but uh, I'm gonna pick a guy that I feel like I, I probably should have nominated long ago. Given that I'm a huge fan of his, uh, he's he was one of my one of my icons from a comedic standpoint growing up. One of my biggest influences. I watched his uh, TV show every day for many many years, and still still has a big part of my DVR tied up in his uh, stuff. He has been in at least one movie playing himself, but uh, qualifies <laughs> regardless, and has appeared in multiple TV shows. So I feel like if you've got like ten TV credits, you can that equals out to a movie. Uh, so I'm going to nominate Mr. Conan O'Brien. Really cool, huge part of my life. Seriously, I mean, I, I really did watch the uh, his NBC show every single night in college and in, through most of most of high school. Um, the TBS show is not. Quite the same brand but he still has a rabid fan base it's just a different fan base he's incredibly smart and incredibly talented and i think he's a guy that is going to at some point get back to the forefront of comedy i don't know exactly what that's going to look like but i have a great i have no doubt personally that there's gonna come a day in the next however many years where conan does something that is uh Right now, you know, it kind of seems like he's behind the curve. I would say it's not the, it's the same energy that like Fallon has or the same kind of concepts that he's not doing what Letterman's doing or what uh, Colbert is doing or whatever. I think there's going to come a day because he is such a smart and talented comedian. You're going to get a point where Conan reascends. I don't know that it's going to be 25 million viewers a night, but I think there's something coming from him that's going to be. Uh, it's going to change comedy at least in as far as the the late night sort of thing goes. So, um, love Conan, huge huge fan and and I feel like he should he deserves a
1: place. Richard, pros and cons? I'm I'm with Brian. I mean, I think, you know, I think my screen name when I was in 7th grade, I, I may have said this before on the podcast. My screen name on AOL from like 7th through 8th grade was Late Night Conan 23, I remember. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's People of our generation are very impactful, much like Letterman was to people before us and, mm-hmm. uh, and Fallon is to probably people a little younger than us. Um, so, sure, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that, definitely from an impact side. It was hysterically funny uh, for so long and, and such a, um, not just him, but kind of what he represents in terms of that whole kind of group of, of comedy writers and, and people like that, this really uh, a love of comedy and, like, uh, People that set out to do that, that whole group was kind of the first to set out to really make things funny in that where where a lot of other people set out to be, you know, stand-up comedians or just kind of felt, you know, Letterman was like a weatherman and then went to be a stand-up comedian and kind of fell into what he is. Like Conan and, and that kind of group were like, these are comedy writers. It's what I think of when I think of comedy writers, you know, Simpsons and SNL and all that stuff. It's weird. That whole debacle in 09, uh, he both handled it incredibly and terribly the same time yeah uh, mm-hmm. uh and and so that made him like really interesting for, for that i think he handled it like a baby and i think he was masterful in the way he handled it and both things are true and uh and i think i and that makes him like a really interesting person but yeah i'm on board
0: man i i i, I freaking love conan one of the best moments of his career came in 09 or came after he he left the tonight show mm-hmm. or was or was let go of the of the Tonight show he went on uh, the Late Show with David Letterman. Yeah, he goes, he goes on stage. People clap and cheer for him. He just sits down, and him and Dave just stare at each other for a good two minutes. <laughs> Don't even say anything. Yeah. They're just laughing and looking at each other, like, uh, like who's gonna bring up Jay first? You know, it's like yeah. that's all they were there to talk about was that uh, that situation. But what a what an American treasure! I he was he's easily my favorite late night host uh, yeah. of all time. Uh, I was actually on the Conan O'Brien show, the one really? late night show I ever did in my life. Nice. Uh, a musical guest, I was on there in 2008. So go Google that. But no, it, if if I was to choose one person to be on a late night show, I'm glad it was Conan. You know, I'm glad yeah. I w- wasn't uh, on uh, on a random, you know, on Jay Leno or something because I don't really care for that guy. But he was super nice. He you know, shook his hand, hey, uh, he was, uh, you know, you he was as nice as as everyone says. He's super. He's very tall, of course, <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh, just couldn't have been nicer to me and my friends, and yeah. uh, and it was super cool to be on his show. But you know, highlight of my life so far to be on that. So I have very nothing cool. but support for him and uh, and what he does and his operation there, and that's that's now uh, moved to TBS. I agree, Brian. I think he's going to come on. He sort of already has with that Clueless Gamer series. He, yeah, does. he well, has a kind of a viral nature to it.
2: Yeah, and that serious jibber-jabber, which he doesn't do nearly frequently enough in my opinion, but I think that's the long-form interview. I think he's a very good interview. He's always been a very very good at that aspect of it. I think that's something that I could definitely see him moving forward with in a larger role at some point when he gets tired of doing the TBS thing. Serious jibber-jabber is awesome, and it's really, really an interesting concept it's it's a lot like you know inside the actor studio but with from a slightly more comedic standpoint i guess and i think that's something that you could definitely see him
1: doing it's charlie forward. rose meets yeah that's a-
0: yeah he has the musical yeah, just- ability too, like like fallon does he just doesn't really use it as much as fallon does but he plays guitar brilliantly yeah, mm-hmm. and stuff so that should be noted as well in that but uh, my vote is yes richard your vote is yes yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm assuming
1: i'm gonna yeah, let's go yes, yes. Jason, yes. you like Conan? Jason, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Just asking. I
3: love Cohen. Conan. Uh, he would absolutely get a yes from me if I had a vote, but yeah, I love okay.
1: Conan. great. You don't, so. <laughs>
0: yeah, don't forget. <laughs> so now, uh, American Treasure, Conan O'Brien. Boom. Boom. So I mean, I, before you move on,
2: Ken, yeah. I, so I'm looking at Conan's IMDb page, and uh, I, I see in the self section, there's a documentary coming up. Featuring Conan O'Brien in an uncredited role called Nowitzki, The Perfect Shot, or Der Perfect Worf. So there is a documentary about Dirk Nowitzki heading our way later this year in which Conan O'Brien makes an appearance. So I don't understand what that's about, but I am really excited. I'm going to start crying as we speak. (laughs) <laughs> and the the
0: Conan Dallas week last year, yeah, maybe the I'm best sure that's week. That's
2: what it is, yeah. Maybe sure the best
0: is. week of late night television in the past. Five <laughs> years. I'm not even kidding. Not just because it was in Dallas, but just the bits he did. Yeah, he went Dirk's, and sold Mary Kay makeup door to door, and it was <laughs> genius. It was great. And greatness. Dirk's appearance was so good. Yeah, it was.
2: So SNL really really messed up not having Dirk host right after the Mavs won the title because there was a lockout that year. Dirk is a really funny dude. That would have been a hilarious episode.
0: You're right. So I'm going to bring to the table a public figure as well. Uh, this is a person who has contributed in multiple aspects of culture. Uh, he's really dominated every area that he has um, that he's attempted. He's been active uh, in his profession uh, since 1982, and he has. Uh, done multiple things and he has transformed the industries in which he has uh, pursued. So I'm going to bring to the table from Warren, Ohio, American Treasurer Dave Grohl. Oh, nice. 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 Yeah. Make your case, Brian? sir. Okay. I'll Do make my case. Yeah, um, make your
2: case.
0: Well, he, he started out in a, of course, a, a, a punk band called scream. Uh, in 1986 as their drummer and eventually uh, moved to Seattle and made his way into uh, the band called Nirvana. Might have heard of them. What? Uh, transformed Nirvana <laughs> into just a sort of local uh, grunge act into, of course, national uh, celebrities and really changed the, the landscape of music from hair metal to, uh, to late uh, early 90s. Uh, grunge rock which brought us bands such as Pearl Jam and the Smashing Pumpkins and eventually uh, what we have today but I I attribute all that success of Nirvana to Dave Grohl I mean Kurt was just floored with with Dave's ability to drum and brought him into Mm -hmm. the band and uh, you know Nevermind came out shortly thereafter and the rest is history Mm -hmm. so after that he when Kurt killed himself, uh, he started the Foo Fighters. He was offered to be in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers as their drummer, but said no and wanted to start his own band and uh, started the Foo Fighters. And of course, they're in the top three of biggest bands in the in the world as as we as we know it today. Also, has appeared on SNL numerous times in numerous cameos in skits, uh, doing comedic things. He's a extremely funny person he's made cameos in movies such as the muppets which we were big yes. fans of had a yeah. great little role in that as the drummer of the muppets but uh also a, a accomplished filmmaker made a spectacular documentary called sound city which i will recommend again right now mm-hmm. and all, all you know has drums for many uh different bands queens of the stone age uh a, a side project called them crooked vultures with uh, john paul jones from zeppelin and uh and the singer from this uh from Queens as well, but, uh, you know, just really has done everything that he's wanted to do and has succeeded at it. And his personality, i just heard from, you know, the world has said, if you meet Dave Grohl, he will treat you like you're his best friend. Just couldn't be a nicer person. And, uh, that's what really matters. Huge sense of humor about himself. That's for sure. Can laugh mm-hmm. at himself. And, uh, just every time I see him, I get happy and, uh, definitely, in American Treasure. I saw him in actually Richard sent us a skit today on SNL from SNL of a wedding that featured Will Forte and the next video up on like the auto playlist was one where Fred Armisen sings for a church or, like a wedding band and uh, Dave Grohl's the drummer and it's just a hardcore punk band singing at a wedding and it's <laughs> it's quite funny so you should look that up. But uh as soon as he came on I was like, "Oh yeah. American Treasure Dave Grohl, that's 100%." So that's my case. But uh, I think Dave Grohl is an American treasure. Uh, maybe the first musician we've inducted, if I'm not mistaken, into the American Treasure Hall of Fame at, at this point.
1: Well, but besides uh, the FGL bros, besides Florida Georgia Line,
0: which are <laughs> pending. Yeah. When, once they hit 25 years yeah. of, of greatness, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. So that's about <laughs> 25 American years away. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, he's not only in a band. I mean, I wouldn't even bring him to the table if he hadn't. Made a, a spectacular movie, yeah. And if he hadn't done SNL numerous times and exactly. uh, and numerous you know viral videos and things like that, so
2: totally
1: greatness yeah, he's got a new one that just of last night did, did you guys see the uh chelsea handler goodbye video thing no no uh it was it was her uh last episode last night and uh you if you blinked you missed it because uh E refused to promote it literally like every celebrity ever to basically do we are the world we are the children but it was the lyrics were changed about uh you know her leaving e <laughs> but uh growl was part of it and uh was just wicked just awesome he's awesome just truly one of the best
0: drummers of all time. I mean, it's yeah. just sick how good he is. Oh, yeah. And a uh, guitarist and singer, too. Just, it
1: disgusts me how talented he is. It's such a distinct style. Yeah. You're right. And when you hear Dave Grohl drums, you're like, yep, I know yeah. that. I mean, it's, 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 I'm, who's the other drummer that has that? Bonham? Maybe no one else? I mean, mm-hmm. there's better drummers, but I don't know if anyone's more distinct besides Bonham and, uh, uh, stick, but they're
3: completely different.
1: Yeah, different yeah.
0: styles of drummers. Mm-hmm. Travis Barker's up there, but just because yeah. of pure technical yeah. skill, he's a, yeah. like a marching band drummer mm-hmm. that, that plays yeah. punk music. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, uh, Dave Grohl would be. If I was to start a band, he'd be my drummer, you know, <laughs> for yeah. sure. So yeah, that's my vote is yes. Richard, are you a yes? Yeah, I'm a yes. Go okay. for it. I Ryan, won't even go you, on. You seem excited. Yeah. So yeah, I no. Uh, Nirvana is my favorite band of all time. Dave Grohl. Oh wow.
2: I I'm not going to say he made that band what it is cuz there's a whole lot of parts that made that you know an incredible experience but um he definitely I don't think Nirvana becomes Nirvana without Dave Grohl honestly and he oh, yeah. so he's he's an amazing amazing performer and at this point he's kind of become like the champion for rock and roll which mm-hmm is mm-hmm. we desperately need and he i think he's the right guy to do it and I, I love that he's embraced that that role uh sound city's amazing the new one that he's got coming out is called like sonic highways i think or something yeah it's
0: an hbo series yes and it, it's- it charts it charts the uh, the making of the new Foo fighters record so, awesome yeah
2: awesome well i can't i can't wait for that so that is a definite yes for me and and great great nomination there
0: thank you i appreciate it hopefully we'll get more musicians in too because they make big contributions yes. richard american
1: Treasure nominee i'm gonna go when we talked about our in the week i'll go quickly uh great career um and you know we always need more females in here uh so it's not two thing. but i'm gonna get great sense of humor about it herself a uh, really impressive and in, in diverse acting career across different mediums and different types of characters and various things like that. I'm going to go American Treasure, Kathy Bates.
0: Nice. I like Kathy Bates. Um, I, I think Misery is one of my favorite movies of all time. It could have made the list. Uh, one of my favorite books of all time for sure. I enjoy Kathy Bates. Like Richard said, uh, I think she just has a – uh, you know, just don't care what anyone thinks attitude, which I really admire and brought brought a little bit of humor to the office in some of the worst episodes. Uh, there it's were. such a
1: shame the talent they had those last few years, of, yeah. like the writers that just refused to use it.
0: Yeah, you're right. But yeah, I agree. She won an Emmy this past uh, week for American Horror Story. So, you know, always good to see her just. Somebody I would want to go have a cup of coffee with, and that would just probably be really cool to hang out with.
3: Have you seen About Schmidt? Yes. Oh, my gosh. she kills me in that.
0: Yeah. I say yes. I love love Kathy Bates, and we do need more females in this. Mm -hmm. You're right, Richard. Brian?
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny. I I don't know that I – really like any movie that she's ever been in Misery is is a fine movie um and i totally get its value but it's not one that i you know personally love but what i do love about bates is what you guys just mentioned she does not care and i i think that's awesome like i just there's a way to carry yourself with not caring and she does it so well so yeah definite yes for me
0: wow unanimous all three this week has that ever happened? I don't this think This is a good so. class. It's a unique, class. very good class. Out
1: of the box class. It I like was this class. Not
0: obvious at all. So, like I said, uh, listeners, if you have nominees, feel free to send them our way uh, to madaboutmoviespodcast.com and click contact. We'll like them we will, on
1: fire in front of you. And- we, will, we will do that. That's for <laughs> sure.
0: So you can check out our whole list on our website as well. So, without further ado, let's move on. And, Jason, prepare yourself. Let's talk about Ghostbusters. I will let Jason Davidson kick things off and uh, start telling us a little bit about why you like this movie so much.
3: Well, when I was younger, when I uh, w- was growing up you know, in the uh, majestic city of Worthington, Ohio, we did not have any cable television at our house. But what I had was I had cousins who had HBO and what they would do every now and again is grab a VHS cassette, throw it in and just record like eight hours of HBO and just give it to me. So pretty much all the movies I watched during that time period is what I just happened to get. And as it turns out, one of those movies was Ghostbusters. So I had this limited pool of movies to draw from, and out of that pool was this amazing movie, Ghostbusters. So I just watched it again and again and again and again. And uh, I, I have memories of our, – our playground near my house had a – one of those fire poles, And I have memories of just playing the fire pole scene. Like I don't know how that was a game. It didn't really involve anyone else, but it sure was me sliding down the pole and doing race dance dialogue. And standing at the top and do an Egon's dialogue before I would, you know, slide down the pole. And uh I could do that. My sister did right
1: a it a tim- My sister played a similar game, but it didn't work out so well for her in the long run. <laughs> <laughs>
3: made a lot of money for a little while.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's and
3: true. it only cost her her
1: self-respect. Um, and her life. <laughs> <in games. laughs> so, yeah. Took so, a dark turn there. I don't yeah, have that, a sister. That, uh,
3: that, took a, that took a hard turn, hard left. Uh, so a, a lot of it really just came from it, – it's what I had. And uh, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that it was – such a great movie to have. Uh, they didn't sound to say this is a shocking. glowing
1: recommendation. <laughs> why do you love ghostbusters so much? It was the only yeah. movie I saw.
3: Well, but, but hang on, hang on. Uh, that's why I had so much exposure to it. But then over the years, it's just incredible. It's just such a good movie. I don't know how many details you, you want me to get into right here, but you know, uh, one thing that I love about the movie is that, um, Everyone is all in for, for every single scene. It's it's one of those amazing movies that wh- whatever's happening on screen, it's incredible. Uh, Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis and Bill Murray are just incredible in and, and every single moment of that. They're completely dialed into the moment. They're always interacting with each other. Everywhere you look on the screen, something awesome is happening. Uh, there's not a bad moment in it, and... All of that, of course, is, is, is secondary to the fact that it's just really, really funny. Uh, I think it's held up in the, in the 30 years since it originally uh, hit our theaters. It, man, I still laugh at it when I watch it right now. And, and I think another thing that it has that a whole lot of the comedies these days won't necessarily have is it has a very coherent plot structure it goes somewhere it it does something it actually escalates there are great jokes in the beginning there's a great sort of middle sequence to the movie but then it actually escalates to the end and you have a little bit of reasonable action comedy and the whole time it never stops being funny and it never stops being entertaining um it's it's just a perfect comedy it's just it's really funny it's really sincere it's very well acted it's beautifully shot the jokes hold up, the scenes hold up, the quotes hold up, you know, the, the dreaded word zeitgeist. I mean everybody I know occasionally throws out a quote from Ghostbusters where they whether they mean to or not just because they've heard it for as many years as they have. Um, it, it's just a tremendous, tremendous film, and, and I feel very excited that it was one of the only movies that I had growing up because I got to watch it again and again and again and again. It's been a part of my uh, – Movie conscience, movie soul. You know, I, I uh, this is one of the more nerdy things in my life, but, uh, around my senior year of high school, when, well, I guess it was right after I graduated, and everybody's handing you all that stupid stuff that you're supposed to sign, you know, like, hey, friend, sign this. And, uh, I qu- signed every single one with, um, Call it fate, call it luck, call it karma. I believe everything happens for a reason. I believe we were destined to get thrown out of this dump. So, like, I was actually putting quotes from Ghostbusters on that kind of stuff when I was 18.
2: Hey, Jason, I know you pretty well, and I'm going to say that's not anywhere close to the (laughs) nerdy things about you. So, Just...
3: But I feel like it's on the list. But I, I think what uh, I think what makes a difference is I don't really hide from this one. I'm actually a little proud of it that I was dropping yeah. Ghostbuster quotes on my uh, on on yearbooks and and the other things that you sign around that time uh, time of your life.
0: No, uh, great thoughts, and uh, thank you for justifying your feelings for this <laughs> film. Um, it's interesting. I I hadn't really watched this movie in sort of a critical eye before. You know, I I grew up growing up watching it uh, off and on, you know, every few years I would watch it. I do own the movie, but um I do not really watch it in a critical eye. Man, it holds up quite well. It it actually impressed me this past uh viewing how well it held up uh, especially comedically. And uh, it's it's sort of the perfect sci-fi comedy. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's both sci-fi and com I don't think a movie has really uh equaled that. Until maybe that first Men in Black movie, sort of captured that same tone, uh, as far as you know, a straight sci fi comedy uh, that that captured the attention of everybody one summer. Up to up to An the
1: evolution with the company and Orlando Jones. Yeah, you're right.
3: Wild West, of
0: course, too.
1: Wild Wild West. Uh, wild, excuse wild you. West.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> Get it right. Have some Just respect. Of the prequel. The prequel. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I mean, up until. 1990, this was the highest grossing comedy of all time. Wow. Uh, 1990 is when Home Alone came out, which eventually beat oh, it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, But, I mean, this was an absolutely huge movie. It justified a sequel that got made. Not to say the sequel is better, but if you're going to make a sequel to any th- movie, probably the highest comedy grossing comedy of all time would be uh, worthy of it. But, I mean, it, it, comedically, it just really impressed me how well it held up on this Uh, last viewing i won't say the special effects hold up nearly as well as i remember they did in certain parts Mm -hmm. which i'll talk about uh, a little bit later but richard what are your uh what's your affection or lack of affection uh for ghostbusters
1: i uh i didn't see ghostbusters as a kid at all it's kind of the opposite of um the opposite of of jason i was watching i had vhs tapes bootleg vhs tapes full of masterpieces like uh I don't know. Uh, <laughs> rookie of the year. Very, very, a lot of baseball-related stuff. Um, my dad would tape for me. The Larry um, Sanders show. Uh, yeah, Larry. Yeah, I did. I watched a lot <laughs> of Larry Sanders I, I show. wish that
2: we could go back in time and film Richard's childhood just a little bit. <laughs>
1: it's just, it's such a it's different so experience to mine. It makes me so interested. It was a lot of um, – alternative comedy and then I'm not kidding and a lot of throwing the ball to myself in a yard which I realized <laughs> to my neighbors must have been the most depressing looking thing. I used to sit on one side of my yard and throw a football as high and as far as I could and then run and catch it for hours. So I was, I'm sure I, people probably killed themselves just watching me. Um, but I didn't have Ghostbusters. I knew the song um, and I saw Ghostbusters 2 first, actually. Uh-huh. And then this kind of like uh, cult of, so I'm 27, this kind of cult of Bill Murray started when I was probably like 15 or 16, when it was like, it became really cool to be into Bill Murray, and my friends got really into Bill Murray. And, uh, you know, I started seeing other, I saw, you know, I'd seen Groundhog Day a lot and like that. And then someone like forced, we were like, we'll watch Ghostbusters for the 30th time. And I was like, yeah, I've seen this. I remember distinctly like being at my friend's house. I think it was uh, chase's house scan and everyone watching ghostbusters for like the 90th time and quoting it. And it was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I had to pretend like I knew what was coming and to not look very interested in watching it. Uh, I remember that, but, uh, so, but yeah, so since then, uh, in the 10 years I've seen it, uh, dozens of times and love it and and have kind of a unique experience with it because i saw it i watch it like you know you watch classic movies when you get older and you kind of go back through the back catalog and uh, it's one of the few that like kind of lives up it's kind of you can kind of experience it at any time and it holds up really well it, Mm -hmm. it, it lives up to the substantial hype i think and this is coming from someone who uh who cannot stand dan Aykroyd, so uh uh there's there's that brian
2: yeah, I had a, my experience is actually a little bit closer to Richards than to to Jason's. I I have a memory for this sort of thing. Only we could have
1: met and, and played catch I know together. we could have
2: thrown footballs to each other um, <laughs> and hugged. Uh, but I, I I have a really weird memory for like when I saw a movie, who I saw the movie with, if I own the movie, like when I bought it or where I bought it. It's it's a I don't know. I may have some sort of illness or something, but. I don't remember seeing Ghostbusters for the first time, and I don't think I was exposed to it until I was maybe ten or twelve or something, something in that range. I remember the cartoon much better than I do the movie, at least as far as when I was a kid. Um, I imagine I saw this off of you know TNT or TBS or something like that. For the first time. And I too can't, I think I saw the second one first before that was Richard. before I saw oh, Richard, excuse me. I think I saw the second one first before I saw the first one. Um, And so Ghostbusters like kind of just creeped into my life rather than like, Oh, I remember exactly where I was when I saw this film. And so it was probably my, you know, early middle school years before I sat down and watched the Ghostbusters. And, um, and then it's one that has like, strangely, I haven't revisited it a hundred times, despite the fact that I really love this film. And I think it's a really funny movie that holds up really well. I don't, I, I bet I've only seen it a half dozen times, as opposed to, you know, Star Wars, which I've seen literally countless times or, Uh, or, you know, many of the movies that I mentioned in my top 10 last week, I've seen dozens of times and I, I haven't seen this one that many, that many times. And I, I rewatched it for this show and I, I bet I hadn't watched it in four or five years. And so, um, it, it was, it's a strange thing. I have a great endearing respect for it. I really love the movie. Uh, but I don't it's not like a part of my life the way some of these the way that I would kind of expect it to be for myself, you know. Um it was it was fun watching it from a, like you said, can a critical standpoint because I, I've not ingested uh, this movie as many times as as I might have as I might think that I would have, which is a strange strange thing. So uh, still holds up, still a really funny movie, and still, you're, you're right, the, the special effects aren't great, but the structure is, uh, is spectacular.
0: It's funny, because there are three distinct characters in this movie. There is, <laughs> yeah. uh, there is Harold Ramis, who plays this sort of scientist, m- more of like a logistical mathematician type of guy. There is Dan Aykroyd, who obviously plays the paranormal expert slash weirdo. And uh, the third character is Bill Murray, who plays Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, uh, and th- that was just so fun. I didn't really realize that before. That you know, there's a, that first scene where he's sort of like a psychiatrist or psychologist, and uh, is evaluating those people uh, with the cards. But after that, he's just <laughs> Bill Murray. There's no mm. really <laughs> point to what he does or his character at all. He just playing himself, which I don't mind. Bill Murray is fantastic. Yeah. I've heard that he really improved the majority of his lines for this movie, which doesn't surprise me at all. Oh. Um, there were other people that were approached to play the uh, role of Dr. Peter vankman uh, I, I believe Michael Keaton was offered the role that turned it down. Uh, Chevy Chase also was, was offered the role, but turned it down. And the, the, ori- goodness. <laughs> the original choice was John Belushi, who, of mm. course, we know what happened there. The original three was supposed to be Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, and Eddie Murphy, who um, wow. who turned down the role uh, to be in uh, Beverly Hills Cop, which worked out pretty well for him and ended up actually being the highest grossing movie of 1984.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can you can that's understandable. Yeah. Because that was such a launching pad for him. No, was... exactly,
0: yeah. His God. character, uh, Winston, uh, was supposed to be in the movie the whole time, but mm-hmm. uh, when Eddie Murphy didn't take the role, they made him show up halfway through the movie and really didn't uh, have a big role <laughs> mm-hmm. at all. Uh, poor Ernie Hudson.
2: <laughs> you know yeah. what's funny? I uh, I was looking in the prep for this. I was looking at the stuff for the animated series, because, again, that was a big part of my childhood. And... Uh, one of the notes on Wikipedia regarding the animated series was that Ernie Hudson was the only actor from the original four that auditioned for his own part in the animated series oh, and was turned
0: down. So, oh man,
2: <laughs> went to Arsenio Hall instead. Uh, poor, poor Ernie Hudson. Poor Just, Ernie
3: Hudson.
0: I heard it got. Trying, bud. I heard it got to the point where you know, back when you used to buy VHS tapes, where it would say, "This film has been modified from its original format to fit your television." You know, like from a widescreen format to a 4 by 3 format. Most of the scenes, they just cropped him out. (laughs) Just just had the three Ghostbusters there because he really didn't matter in a lot of the stuff. So that's kind of offensive but funny. It would be interesting to see what Michael Keaton could have done with this role, though. The Peter Venkman role would have been uh, pretty interesting. Also uh, of note is Christopher Walken. John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd, and Jeff Goldblum were considered for the role that Harold Ramis eventually took for himself. Wow. So could have I would have liked to see Jeff Goldblum. Oh, yeah. And uh, lastly, John Candy was supposed to play the Rick Moranis role, but oh. uh, wanted the character to have German accent and to have, like, multiple dogs, which <laughs> nobody saw a point in, in that. But uh, I, I actually really enjoy Rick Moranis <laughs> yeah. in this Oh, yeah. he's cool. he is, he is quite funny. He's very funny, actually, in the role of Tully, uh, the yeah. the awesome neighbor of Sigourney Weaver. Now so, I want to see a cut of uh,
2: Ghostbusters with John Candy in that role, but as Barf from Spaceballs. Yeah. That's-
0: <laughs> American North American Treasure John Candy. Yeah, actually, I should say. Rest in peace, say. bro. Rest yeah. in peace, and American Treasure Bill Murray, and uh, Negative American Treasure Dan Aykroyd, <laughs> like, opposite of a of AT. <laughs> But uh, it's uh, no, I really did enjoy enjoy Bill Murray. I love his improv. You can just tell he brings so much to himself in this in this movie. But um, let's talk about some of our our favorite parts of this, Brian. What what stuck out to you this first time?
2: My favorite part is unfortunately is unrepeatable. It's the incredible joke made towards the EPA guy yeah, yeah. at the end of the There's film. Um, it's one of the best deliveries of a joke in a film of all time in my opinion and it's it kills me it kills me every time I watched it I I was watching it this time around and I I mean I knew it's coming but I I had to stop whatever I was doing and just giggle to myself at midnight I was just <laughs> it's a really really funny joke um but I love I, you know I love Murray and whatever he's doing and he just brings the perfect uh he's perfect in this he's just perfect and he, it's the Almost, I like kind of don't care, but I'm still going to – I'm so cool that I, it, it, it won't matter <laughs> that I don't care almost. Yeah. I love that about him and, and he's great in this. One of the things that really stuck out to me this time, again, watching from a critical standpoint was – there's absolutely no explanation for anything that's happening uh, there's no <laughs> there's no reasoning behind the, the the science of catching ghosts in a box and and trapping them in a wall uh, which is, seems like a very strange sort of thing uh, you know you get the don't cross the streams and whatnot but uh, it's very low on the scientific scale as far as that stuff goes but they pull it off perfectly. Uh, and I feel like that's something that films these days they miss real bad. It's either we get bogged down the min- in the minutia of trying to explain something that really truly can't be explained because it's not possible, or they tr- a film that will try to do the the uh, Ghostbusters model and just like here's what's happening and just go with it, but they're not cool enough to pull off. I think Now You See Me kind of falls into that category of just just. Don't worry about it. They can do these sorts of things. Don't, don't worry about it. But yeah. we do worry about it because they're terrible movies. Um, I was very impressed with the ability to pull that off and just get – for 30 years, get people to just be like, yeah, it's totally possible to catch a ghost in a box. No right. problem.
0: You're right. You know? Yeah, I never thought about that before. It's, it's some, so many movies do that. They just try to explain how things are the way they mm-hmm. are. It, it doesn't matter. Right. Just let people believe that ghosts are real and that you can catch them. That's yeah. that's exactly right. Richard,
2: if you're going to do inception then yeah. fine. And but sure. if you're not going to do inception then then ghostbusters is the way to go. You just have to have some coolness to be able to pull it off. Mm-hmm.
0: You're right. Richard, favorite favorite part on this last viewing. That stuck out.
1: You know, doing this podcast, you know, you kind of you do just by by nature of thinking of things to talk about. You watch movies in a different way. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is the first time I've watched that movie since um, we've been doing this, I think, and and really just how tight it was. And I know I know ghosts are a big passion project project of of Akron. Uh, I know he's like a spiritualist. So I, I you know, the kind of originality of this ghost I think a lot of the credit goes to him, um, in, in kind of making this work. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, that that's the thing that really surprised me is how tight consistent smart and all that this is Mm -hmm. um and and there's not a really a wasted minute in it i I just was really impressed with the the pacing of it and uh the kind of nuance of the story great jason what's your favorite part
3: brian nailed it i mean that's the funniest joke that's ever put in a ever been put in a a movie that thing is just incredible uh but you know something i noticed more this time i think than than i've noticed in the past because it had been until yesterday. It would probably been a couple of years since I had watched it. And, and it's kind of a cheap answer, but it's it's any time it was the big three on screen in the same shot. Uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier about how each one of them had a very, very distinct character. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily them in real life, because we've seen all three of them play different... Well, maybe not Bill Murray as much, but uh, we, we've seen them all play very different people on screen. Um, but but like Richard was saying about the writing, they were just on in, in every single moment. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's this moment when uh, Winston Zedmore decides he wants to talk in the mayor's office, and all three of them just sort of glance at each other, and they drift into each other, and Bill Murray puts his hand up on Egon, on Egon like, "Okay, this is going to be trouble," and they're giving each other knowing glances uh, when they flip on. Dan Aykroyd's nuclear accelerator in the elevator and they don't know what's going to happen. You Mm -hmm. have uh, Bill Murray and Egon start drifting away, like squeezing as far to the opposite corner as they can uh, when Bill Murray is getting the price for the guy after they clear out the ballroom. I never noticed this until I I just watched it again, but uh, uh, Harold Ramis is cueing him the price. Like you're looking at his hands and he's – You know, bringing four fingers up to his face really conspicuously. And then he brings up one finger telling uh, uh, Bill Murray how much everything's going to cost. And uh, it's just something I really noticed this time. Every single scene when it's the three of them, they're just on another level. They're they're locked in. They're completely in those characters, and they are the perfect foil for each other. Like everything that Egon does that's funny is perfectly complemented by the responses he gets from uh, Peter Vinkman and Ray Stantz, and that goes all the way around the circle. You know, whatever one of them was doing, the other two had the perfect response for, it. and it was just, it was just amazing to watch the three of them together like
0: that on screen. Oh, it's a perfect combination. It really is the perfect uh, combination of actors. But let me start getting into nitpicking here. Um, Movie really works for me in the first act. Like, perfectly. It it really works for me. It works for me perfectly also in the third act. It really starts to trail off personally in the second act when we start getting into the gatekeeper type stuff. Um, Not to say it's not good, but it's just where the movie drags if if at all in in my it's it's almost as if they wrote the first act uh wrote the last act and okay we need something for the middle and and that's what they came up with i don't like no no but rarely people mention the middle parts as their favorite in this movie not to say it's bad but i just think after after they catch slimer uh in the in the ballroom and no, my favorite part of the movie is where $5000 I refuse to pay it. All right, well, yes. we'll just go ahead and put this right back there. Oh, no, 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 no! no, no, no. <laughs> oh, that's right. just greatness. It gets me every time. I don't <laughs> know why. It's such a simple joke, but the way they their delivery is is so perfect. Yeah. But I mean, after that, they show they show a little montage with the Ghostbusters theme of them sort of driving around the city catching ghosts, and then it sort of starts to drag a little bit when we get into the the love story and everything. I love the scene though when Bill Murray first goes over to. Uh, Sigourney Weaver's apartment and starts playing the high notes on the piano. It's like <laughs> they hate this one. They that's really why. hate this. Yeah.
3: Doctor Finkman. Yeah, you,
0: you, yeah I think that was fun. improv. There's no way that wasn't improv. Uh, but you know that that's just where it drags for me at all. Brian, do you have any complaints about this film?
2: Um, not really. I mean, you're right. The second act is is slightly lesser it's the compared act. to the first and the third act. Yeah, I can I can go with that. And you know. I always, this is maybe sound horrible. I, I've never ever found Sigourney Weaver at all attractive. And so it's always weird to me in these eighties movies when she is portrayed as almost like a sex symbol. And I, I don't know, that's just a personal thing. So I'm not, you know, I'm not bashing on Sigourney Weaver or anything like that, but I always think that's an odd, uh, I just find that an odd thing that we did in the eighties, but that's just, that may just be me.
0: I don't know. Sure. Uh, Richard, any complaints? Hmm. No. <laughs> Jason, I obviously know your answer.
3: Well, you know, sometimes I think it's maybe too funny or <laughs> too much fun to watch. But, you know, other than that, I'm, I'm pretty on board for all of it. I, I, I will say to you uh, – that, that second act does kind of get bogged down with, with some exposition. But again, I think one of the, the brilliant things about the, the film is even when you have those scenes, uh, like with Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray standing around the fountain, just talking about her situation, it's still funny and it's still yeah. engaging. You know, there's, I, I don't know why I love this line so much, but there's a library he's reading and he's the expert. He's the scientist. And he goes something like, "Um, and he's a God of the, um, what's that word? Hittites, okay, Hittites, Hittites. Yes, he's a god of the Hittites, and it just it cracks me up a little bit every time that he just doesn't know how to pronounce that word. And and so there's a life even to these these long scenes of exposition.
0: Mm-hmm. You're right, and I want to just mention what doesn't really hold up in my opinion. Uh, some of the special effects don't hold yeah, up. Yeah,
3: that's
2: true. Uh, totally.
0: They there is obvious the dog, especially. The, that's what I was going to say. They the two hold. demon dogs or whatever they look pretty bad. It's obviously a stop motion effect or something. I'm sure it looked great in nineteen eighty four doesn't really hold up that well that's really the only part the the proton packs look great i think still <laughs> uh, surprisingly good a little bit cartoony but uh, good cartoony uh, now, that's that's really it i think slimer kind of looks could look better it looks like a puppet at, at <laughs> times but um i think i think the static electricity effects and everything look better than i remembered them looking more uh more fitting than i remembered them looking so my own complaint is that some of the effects don't hold up which is to be expected in a movie who's well that was made in 1984 a science fiction film so
3: now can't you that was new to me earlier when you said that the um the re-release is going to be a 4k that's what i read uh, online like i said i don't believe it is uh but well uh, no, that's wrong. what they
1: say in the trailer they oh, okay do say that in the trailer okay, okay.
3: well let me follow I, up to have they said anything about updating the effects not changing it you know not you know spielberg and lucasing away the shotguns and the flashlights but just uh cleaning it up a little bit they i'm, made, I'm it, assuming it's of a them?
0: restoration in which yeah. they'll change color correction things like that but i i don't see them changing or lucasing yeah, like you yeah. said there would I'll be say- too much of an outcry the the Blu-ray
2: release that's coming in three two or three weeks is 4K mastered. That okay. so I, I don't know exactly what that will look like on screen, but uh, that that is what's headed our way as far as the the home buying thing goes. I
0: assume it'll be the best print so far mm-hmm. of of it. Also, we get a little bit of AB's music in this too, which is funny. And uh, it, there's a scene where they're driving in there in their car, and they said, do we have any music to listen to? And uh, they just cut away to just the most 80s so of all bad. time. It's so yeah. bad. It's really bad. But I, I think the Ghostbusters theme is an absolute classic Yeah, that should never be removed. And yeah. should. Uh, Huey Lewis does too. Yeah, Right. <laughs> they asked Huey Lewis to do the theme, but he said no. Yep. So what, they just stole it. Yeah, so they stole it. But I'm, I'm sure it'll get updated for the reboot, which oh. is apparently coming... Uh, in the next couple of years, which I'm sure will be terrible, but yeah. we'll have
1: to see. Sorry. Taylor uh, Swift
0: and Ariana Grande.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I was going to make an Ariana Grande joke too. Two sides. Way to go. Two sides. So I, I have a question for the, the more – um,
1: You'll make one tomorrow.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, for, the, uh, for those of us who are maybe a little more um, – have a little more perspective than I do on this film, I, I think as, as – I agree with you on that particular '80s song when they're driving across the bridge, yeah. uh, but for the most part, I feel like, even though clearly the music's dated and it's not, uh, it screams 1984. It really fits the mood of the scenes in which it's in. You're right. Like it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like a disconnect to me when the when yeah, it comes. Yeah. It.
2: And it, and it's not it's nothing compared to Batman, the Tim Burton Batman right. that was just so yes. full of '80s music. You're mm-hmm. right.
0: But, I mean, most of this is traditional score, which is great. Right. But there are certain scenes where it's just, God, that's the 80s. It's just <laughs> 80s-ing all over you. But right. um, it's it's fine. So, I mean, this holds up very well. Comedically, I think it holds up better than I expected. And the, the effects are, of course, to be uh, a little bit frowned upon and just looking back. Uh, just from what we've seen from movies today. But I'm sure the 4K restoration will be better i i i'm jealous of the people that have seen this in the on the theater and are listening to this podcast after that i'm sure they have a better impression than me Mm -hmm. watching it on uh on my tv but um i'm excited for the blu-ray and the restoration i might go see it this weekend on the theater just to see uh what what kind of print it is so i'll give this a grade of a solid a it it's um it's a gem it's a classic what more can i say and I just—it's just hard to believe that the same person that brought us Ghostbusters also brought us Draft Day. So I'll leave it <laughs> at that. Uh, Brian, what's your grade uh, for Ghostbusters?
2: Also a solid A. And I'd also like to point out that there are two major reviewers on on uh, Rotten Tomatoes that think this is a rotten movie. So
0: wow, throw throw stones accordingly. Okay. And uh, also want to point out that Draft Day is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so the world might burn pretty yep. soon. I know what your grade is going to be, Jason. A or A-plus, maybe?
3: You know, uh, I don't know how I can not give it an A-plus. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I can find no fault with
1: it. Richard? I would go A-plus. Wow. Maybe. That
0: Plusing. might be uh, the best reviewed movie we've ever seen. I would.
1: Not done yet. <laughs> I, I would go A-plus, but Draft A knocks it down to an A.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fair. That, that is fair. Mr. Reitman, uh Sorry it's co- that movie's costing you seriously, yeah. it's costing you now what more ways would you, than
2: Richard, money. what would your grade be if this movie was the exact same movie except it took place in the forest? Where would you fall at
1: that point Uh, B minus <laughs> okay,
0: fair <laughs> nice so wow, it holds up great. It's great to talk about this, Jason, thanks for talking about this too. I totally see why your affection is the way it is i just didn't get into this movie until later in life i'm sure i would i'd be even more high on it if i uh grew up with it so let's hit a quick weekly recommends before we get out of here guys
3: weekly recommends i'll
0: make this fast if you don't already know uh this past week has been the every simpsons ever marathon Mm -hmm. and if you haven't been participating in it uh you need to reevaluate uh, your life again multiple i don't
1: times. get that channel unfortunately you don't get
0: okay it's on fxx which is yeah of, i don't get
1: it you don't get it mm, that is it's unfortunate
0: not, you know, that a the sticks. worst cable package
2: ever
1: yeah i do yeah. yep the addison texas time warner is atrocious Ooh, time warner oh well strike yeah. strike uh
0: strike on richard all oh, they had out here yeah oh, it's okay so yeah, FX FXX has been airing every Simpsons ever, you know, all in a row, and it's just been incredible. I think we're on day eight right now, and uh, I can't get enough of it. I've been watching it, not constantly, but almost constantly, and it's just it's just truly remarkable to go back and look at um, at all the all the episodes of The Simpsons and how it just brings back a lot of memories. I love the show. Eventually, they're going to be coming on cable on FX and FXX. But they're also coming on uh, online streaming on the FX Now app, and which I'm assuming will be on Apple TV and things uh, like that uh, coming up in this fall and winter. So look forward to that. But my recommend is something we've already sort of mentioned this episode. Conan O'Brien did an episode of Serious Jibber Jabber, which is his sit-down interview show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's available on TeamCoco.com you know, or just Google Serious Jibber Jabber with Conan, in which he Brings back a lot of the Simpsons writers that he used to work with, and they talk about the Simpsons for about an hour and just you know reminisce on what it was like to write the shows. Conan wrote um, my favorite episode of the Simpsons, one of the most iconic ones ever, the Monorail episode. Mm. Wrote that by himself. It's just a fantastic episode. So watch that episode. You still have four days left if you're listening to this podcast the way it the day it came out and uh, of since Simpsons episodes. And it's getting right now into the modern days. So I think I've said on the show before, I haven't watched The Simpsons really in about 10 years, uh, new episodes. <laughs> so I'm excited to see uh, some of the newer ones in the past few days. So serious jibber-jabber, The Simpsons Writers Roundtable is my recommend for this week. Brian, recommend.
2: Yeah, great recommend there. I am so excited for I, – I haven't watched too much of the – the binge with the every simpsons ever because i want to start from the very beginning and watch every single episode so i'm stoked for it to be on the on the well
0: uh, it's been going it. for eight days straight non-stop and there's know, still four days left so it's gonna take I you a while
2: I, I mean i'm so excited about that process i really am like i'm really nerding out about it so i can't wait i'm gonna recommend something really different that we've we've i don't think we've ever done before um there is a I don't even know how to put this. There's a project going on in Austin, Texas. Uh, you don't have to be from Austin or Texas to to uh, donate to this, obviously. But uh, if you're in this area, uh, you know it's right down the it's right down the road from us. Essentially, uh, it's called the Community First Village, and uh, what they're doing is they've they've this uh, organization has purchased something like 27 acres of land, and they are providing. Basically, like refurbished RVs and mobile homes and things like that, to build a community for homeless people, um, and and try to. It's not just a here's a free house. It's it's trying to get people on their feet and getting them kind of reintegrated into society again so what they're doing is they're you know they're providing these houses but the people have to they're teaching them how to get jobs get finding jobs for them they have to pay rent on the houses but there's a community aspect to everything that's going on um it's a really cool organization and they're doing some cool stuff that um the Alamo Draft House is partnering with uh, with them to to make this happen, and a couple of other uh, cool pop cultural related places in Austin are doing the same thing. Um, it is done through a church, and and uh, you know if that presents an issue for you, then I totally you know I totally understand. But it's not a it's not a Preachy church thing. It's really truly just trying to. I think they're going to be able to house like 200 or 250 people in this community, and it's. I think it's going to be a good thing for everybody involved, not just the homeless. But it's going to. I don't know. It's going. To, it's a really good idea, and I'm. I'm really stoked about it. So I, I gave my 25 bucks to it, and I'm going to send Kent a link. We're going to put it on the website. Hopefully, uh, but again, you can Google it. It's called the Community First Village. It's in Austin, Texas, and they've got some videos and stuff like that to kind of show what they're doing and mm-hmm. the project and the plans and all that sort of thing. Um, it's anyway, it's a it's a it's a concept that I'm passionate about, and uh, you know, if you've got 25 bucks sitting around, you can really make a huge difference with that money and and use it with people who are doing really good things. So uh, again, that's called the Community First Village Project, and uh, we'll we'll hopefully put that on the the
0: website. Sure. Always good to support uh, great causes. Yeah. Richard, recommend.
1: That's awesome, Brian. I feel like an idiot about to uh, <laughs> recommend the book. But no, that's awesome. And, and uh, it's it really is. I've looked into that too, Brian. I didn't know you were into that. And uh, that's – could not uh, second Brian's recommend enough. It's a really, really cool organization. But uh, my – well, now – I'm going to recommend the spy novel. Um, so. so I'm going to recommend the Gruber for the seventh. Yeah, exactly. Most Wanted Man is out now, right? Brian Salt. I haven't seen it yet. Based on a uh, Jean Lacar book or Le Carre, I never know how to say it. Some French pseudonym. But uh, he has a series of books based with a character, uh, kind of his his his. If he was Ian Fleming, this would be his James Bond named George Smiley. Who's kind of a fat, plump, uh, very realistic spy as opposed to Bond, who's not. But if you really like kind of Cold War thrillers, uh, the first couple books, the one I'll recommend today is the first book in the series, which is called A "Call for the Dead." It's really essentially just a mystery novel. It's not too espionagey, uh, but it kind of introduces you to the uh, character and has a really cool story with kind of some neat background around the Cold War. You know, who murdered who type uh, of thing. It's just always kind of fun to read if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, I think both Kent and Brian, you would like it. Uh, and Jason, I, I know you're illiterate, but if you ever do learn to read, um, that would is, be that Do would they have it on book and audio? Uh, yes, but I mean, Perfect. come on. Are you that disciplined? <laughs> uh, no, but it's uh, Jean Le Carre, It's uh, a lot of, you know, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is based off of one of his. Um, a really, really neat writer uh constant gardner is another film that's based off one of his which is a really good little movie uh with ray fines and it didn't it didn't beat uh you know avatar for the oscar that year or whatever even though it has a fines brother in it but it is still a good movie so, yeah recommend uh Jean le a call for the dead or any of his novels they're all good little spy books jason you got something you want to recommend
3: i do and it's unbelievably
1: nerdy yeah, yeah i it's know it's jason davidson i know it's yeah.
3: shocking so I like to uh, I like to grind documentaries in the background when I'm please doing other Dungeons things.
1: And Dragons. please be gentle.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I saved that for you know my fifth time on the show. I'll drop something <laughs> like that. Now uh, I saw a documentary here fairly recently. I'm a I'm a big history guy. My uh, undergrad degree is actually in history, and uh, PBS has this series called Secrets of the Dead, and they have this one out, and it's called Secrets of the Dead: Ultimate Tut. I know it's kind of a weird and nerdy. Uh, recommendation for something to watch, but if you're into history at all, it's it's absolutely fascinating because it's it's the science of history. For years and years and years, you know, you you learn about King Tut, and it's the guy whose tomb we found, and he was murdered by somebody. There's a hole in the back of his head. Uh, well, this hour and a half documentary, you've got a, a famous Egyptologist who went through and saw all these discrepancies, and they go through and they get the mummy and they apply all these new scientific methods and MRIs and um, simulations of the damage to the body, and they completely recraft the story of uh, the king and how he died. And uh, there is unbelievable amounts of intrigue, and uh, not so much murder, but kind of murder. And it's just a fascinating thing to see. Uh, that's a defined
1: to- kind of murder. <laughs> This is well, an interesting legal president. president well, in. taking notes.
3: How about this? Uh, he was not murdered.
1: Corey, are you listening? Okay.
3: Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he wasn't murdered. I don't want to give too much away. He wasn't murdered, but uh, a certain individual took an incredible advantage of his death to do an amazing power grab um Steve and, Martin uh, Steve Martin that's exactly right that's where the song came from okay. uh but for me and the reason I'm recommending it is cuz it's it's just absolutely fascinating to see uh the sciences of archaeology history Um, anthropology and then the modern sciences of of, of physics and computer simulations and the MRI and our medical techniques and and everything down to why the mummy looks burned. And they went through and tackled absolutely everything and came up with this incredible definitive answer. And it's just, like I said, it's really nerdy. It's probably not too many people's things, but it's absolutely amazing. And uh, if it's not your thing – Watch Groundhog Day. It's also Bill Murray at his best. Yeah.
0: There you go. (laughs) When I die, uh, hopefully you don't think I'm a nut. Uh, I don't want a fancy funeral. Just one like (laughs) Old King Tut. Nice. No, yeah, that's um, one of the great Martin bits of all time. That's a recommend in itself. But, yeah, no, I will check that out. I love documentaries. So thanks for bringing that. And uh, Jason Davidson, where can we find your work online?
3: Uh, you can find my Twitter at j davidson two
0: one four. Okay, Brian.
3: You can find me on Twitter at bgil twelve,
2: and you can find my writing at canbabiesdrinkredbull dot com. Richard, where can we find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden, and you can find my writing at on the Thought Catalog. Kent, where might I find you? You can find me on Twitter at Kent
0: Garrison, and you can find all of us on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. dot com. All of our episodes are on there. Weekly Recommends and American Treasures are on there as well. And uh, all of our episodes are also available on iTunes and various other podcast distributors. So if you like what we do, go ahead and leave us a five-star review. It goes a long way. And on that note, fellas, Jason, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for letting me be here. And uh, we'll have you on again so you can uh, talk about draft day after you see it. I'm so excited. Can't wait. But until next time, we will see you at the cinema.
3: Bye.
0: Goodbye. did Didn't,
3: wanna your Didn't wanna but I don't
0: want to be want to not want to